0: ATV Talk, the podcast, presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m.
1: Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story
0: one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years, with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV Dampener. With better control and handling with an upgraded vein and seal system. Go check it out today. www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619 661 0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk saving. Corey Ellis, welcome back to ATV Talk. Well, oh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Oh, no problem. But, uh, we were just having a nice laugh beforehand, talking about my sister and, and, and her baked goods. Um, it's pretty awesome uh, that, that you got to experience that. So, uh, a, a little bit of that uh, gut you have now, it comes from her. I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, that might've,
1: that was like my, 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 cheat meals. I think more than anything for a couple of years, nationals her <laughs> <laughs> filling your nephew's bag up with brownie cookies and just eating them all week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh dude. It's like I was telling you cookie Thursday, man. It was, it was oh. on, it was on at our shop. So, yeah. um, we were talking last time I had you on and we were talking about, your career and the things that you had done and we were just starting to roll into some national stuff. And, um, you know, a, after a couple hours, we, we needed to cut it short. Um, how did you, how did you go from the Mickey's to the nationals? Was it the same 1995 transition that everybody else made because Mickey's dropped or were you planning on going to the nationals anyways?
1: Um, um we were planning on going anyways. We, um, so yeah, 94, I ran, like, like I said, I ran two, I ran two event weekends, which was TT motocross doubleheader. So I ran four, four races that year. And then, you know, Henson, um, so t- t- he'd really help us out. It switched to Honda. So we bought, we ended up buying Gary's TT bike from Oh four. Yeah. From Oh four, we bought it. So we had a Honda TT bike for Oh five. Um, that was a one-off custom chassis later made for Gary and Gary built a new bike that year for Oh five. Um, so yeah, we were planning on going, we were planning on going nationals and, and, uh, 95 for sure. Regardless of Mickey's, um, just cause it seemed like the next logical step, you know, as we, as you know, we got more events and better and kind of, and I was and kind of didn't have as much competition anymore. And, uh, in Washington, you know, there was as many people, um, at that point, you know, there was probably, you know, we had six or eight, maybe pros, um, showing up every weekend and it was, you know, myself or Keith Marks or two or, th- you know, two or three of us were always battling for, for the lead. And so it kind of, that next logical step was going to nationals, even though we love Mickey's a lot and Mickey's are going to be the main focus, but the nationals are going to be something else for us to kind of fall back
0: on. We did talk about your hybrid last time. That first y- YZ that you built, um, and that was a pretty cool machine. Um, did you build another hybrid to race the nationals back when? In, in and that's probably uh, what two thousand three, two thousand four.
1: So we built that bike. That was uh, we built that in. The fall of 98 for the 99 Stadium series. Mm-hmm. Um, that bike was the only Yamaha hybrid I raced for motocross. That's I only ever had one of them. I still have it. Actually, it's, you know, everybody talks about wish to kept bikes. I still wish I kept a lot of bikes I had, but that's one I actually still kept. I still have it to this day. Um it hasn't been touched since 93. Sorry, not 93, 2003. It hasn't been touched since 2003. It's just been shoved over a corner sitting there. Well, you need to pull um,
0: that thing just, out and send some photos of that. because Yeah,
1: I, I keep talking about it needs to be rebuilt. Um, just, to, you know, the last year I rode it, I was like, oh, you know, it's, you know, I just kind of kept changing parts through the years on it, you know, chain of plastic and things. And I, I wish I could or I wish or I want to someday rebuild it back to how it was when I originally built it. Um, but I still do have that bike. And that was the only Yamaha, um, MX bike I built for hybrid. Um, Mark did build me a lightweight TT Yamaha chassis. I ran for a few years. Um, that was a one-off deal that he did for me. Um, that was Yamaha. And then another, the other, only other hybrid I had was in 2000, actually 2000, I'd be 2003. So I rode that that Yamaha last year. I wrote it was 2002, and then 2003 when Pro Production started doing nationals, I got the wise idea. Um, I'm like, everything's going to go production, so I'm going to be the, I'm going to ride a production bike in the Pro Production and the Pro class. So three, I showed up on a Z400. Um, that was the first year that Alba full on helped me out with pretty much everything, and I had they gave me. Three, three LT or three LTZs and I had a box fan that year and I was at the nationals with three LTZs trying to keep them running, running two pro classes. <laughs> um, so needless to say, that was a handful going on to start the season off with, I ran the stadium races on that, on that thing. And I, I think I had three bikes starting the season and by about three races into the nationals, I had one that ran, one that kind of ran and one that was about half stripped apart that I have robbed parts off that I needed for every weekend to keep it running. Um, so, and then also that year I had enough of that after about halfway through the season and I'm getting, I was doing okay in the pro production. Um, I kept getting thirds behind Timmy and Doug. Um, they had some really good programs and that was, Pretty much wrench on that bike myself at the races. Albert in the motor at the beginning of the year and just kind of I was running that. um, Moonstar did a gust did a on the chassis. So the chassis were holding up pretty decent, but just the power that, you know, um, Doug had and the power that Timmy had was I couldn't, I just was getting that horsepower everywhere. And then in the pro class, they're running hybrids, it was twice as bad. So about half of the season, I was like, I had enough of this. So we end up actually building a I had a CRF dirt bike. Um, so that was oh three, I had a I think O two CRF dirt bike.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I talked to Dan Fisher, Lone Star, and Scott Butler. And I'm like, you know, because they were helping me out with all the parts in LTZ. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I need a I need a <laughs> I need a hybrid to go out and compete. And they, those guys, I mean. Dan, Dan, Dan and Scott, um, when I really need someone, I was riding with them. They, they definitely helped me out a lot. I mean, those guys built me a CRF whole kit from them. in
3: like, I think I had it in a week. When I ordered it. They'd
1: rushed it. I had, I think I had it sitting, in to my house in a week, threw the thing together, Wayne through some shocks on it. I went and wrote it. I took the motorcycle motor apart. Um, at the time, it was 440 rules and it was a, four, it was a 450 dirt bike. Um, I think I got it. I rode it for like three or four days. And even though it was still 450, I didn't have time to even work on the thing. I took it to a national and rode it at, at um, uh, it was in, I want to say, Iowa, Lincoln Trail, I think it was. <laughs> I went and wrote there and I think I got like fourth or fifth on it. And it was still a 450 because it was such a mad rush to get it. And I'm like, I hope I don't, <laughs> I hope they don't tear me down. Cause I'm, I'm illegal, but it's bone stock. And so I was like, you know, hopefully I don't get torn down. And then, so we had a break between that and Mount Morris the next week or like a week or two later. And so I yanked the motor out, did a D stroke kit on it. Um, had a Had a guy at a local shop local Yamaha or local Honda shop, just put a D stroke kit in it. It was still stock, just freshened up with a D stroke kit, still completely bone stock motor, other than D stroke kit, put it back together, went to high point. And I actually pulled a huge hole shot on the thing bone stock with a D stroke kit at that next national and won that and won that national in the pro class. Um, And it was funny because they came over and they were like, they're like, we're tearing everybody down. I'm like, thank God. I D stroke this thing. You know, it's illegal now. Um, and they tore me down and and I can't remember who was the tearing the stuff down at that race, but they pulled that head off and they looked, at, and they were just like, this thing stuck. You pulled a whole shot? I was like, yeah. Just, but I mean it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't like a like I pulled a whole shot by a wheel, it's like I'll pull a whole shot by like a bike and a half. Well, yeah, it was pretty, I mean, it was just one of those time things you time the gate perfect, everything was perfect, you know. And and that thing bone stock with a destro kit and just pulled this huge wool shot, one of the motos. It was pretty funny, though. Yeah, I and mean, they tore me down after the race. It was, I was, laughing. Scott was there, and Scott was, Butler was there, and we were just laughing about it because it was like, I mean, stock cam, stock, I mean, no grinding in the thing. It wasn't ported, polished, nothing. Just, own stock D stroke kit and pulled this huge hole shot. So we had a good laugh about that one. That was pretty awesome.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: I I ended up riding that bike for, I think high point Loretta's and I think Southwick that year was the last race. And then I ended up selling that thing to somebody in Europe. So that bike went away. That that was actually a really good bike, but the next year everything went production. So it was kind of like, I don't need this thing anymore. I can't do anything with it. And at the time I was like, who keeps, you know, (laughs) Yeah, they sold one bike to, to buy something else or to keep rolling in your program. So it was a <clears throat> four race bike we built. You know, built it and sold it, and after four races, and that was all, all. That thing ever got ridden, but won a national on it. So that, <laughs> that worked okay. Not. Yeah. That's,
0: do you wish so, you had that bike back?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, just for the sentimental value, it was a. It was it, there was nothing. That thing was nothing fancy. It was just a normal. Hybrid LSR 450, but it was a clean bike. It ran good. I mean there's other ones I wish I had more than that one, but that I mean, looking back now, I wish I would have kept just about everything. <laughs> just, <I> mean, <laughs> unless it was I mean, even when you change, you know, from a red four tracks to a blue and white one, I wish I would have kept one of each. You know? I mean, you look back at those bikes and we always had pretty clean bikes, you know. And so I, I wish I would have I wish I'd have kept more than I did, but you know, I only ever, I, I've only kept two bikes now. So
0: did you, keep, did you keep any of the Suzuki, the, the, the LT two fifties?
1: No, I didn't. You know, that was when we switched from the Suzuki's to the Honda's, you know, we had a, like everybody, you know, making a switch like that. You have, you have all these parts and everything. So, um, basically just had to, you know, we bought, like I said, we bought that bike, that TG bike at Gary's. Um, we bought a, you know, brand new chassis from Lager for a, for a motocross bike. And then, and then I think I ended up getting a stalker a little bit after that, um, that I ran for about a year or two and then actually then my, for a stalker, should I shouldn't say stalker, a practice bike. I ran for a year or two until the frame started falling apart on it. And then I, then I turn my, turn that bike into a, to a uh, Lager bike to practice on. So it was like a race bike and a practice bike. That mm-hmm. the same. You know that's it's it's funny because looking back, you know those when we started running all the lager bikes and lobos, and all that stuff. I mean, you'd ride a bike for three years of nationals, two or three years, and then the year you might re weld it if it broke a little bit here or there, or had a crack in it, or repowder coat it so it looked good. You know, <laughs> you look at some of these guys now that run the pro class and like, or you know, even back in the factory days, like, oh, three races, that one's timed out, gotta get a new one. You know, and we were, we were riding those, those things for three years, you know, just freshen them up in the season, but also back then too, you know, we were only running five nationals, you know, five or six nationals on them. It wasn't, it wasn't the 10 or 12 races like, like they run now, you know, so the time on them wasn't as much, but even practice bikes, you know, you'd run a practice bike for a year or two just freshen up in the year and go back out, you know, strip it down, redo it and go back.
0: Unless you're Travis Spader that wore him out in a weekend, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I, I got you were talking about Jeremy Shell and talking about tearing down bikes um, because we we're talking about Jeremy before I got started. This Jeremy has probably one of my best tearing down bike stories ever. I, I'm working at Lagers, I'm living there, and Jeremy comes out for the for the uh, Clear Channel Pay Stadium races. And he has this 250R that's a later bike that he's been riding for a year or two. And he's like, he's like, oh, the frame cracked on it. I need to tear this thing apart and get it and, and refresh it. You know what? Why, why I'm here. You know, I can just tear it apart real quick and mark have Mark weld it, freshen up, repowder coat it. I'll put it back together and have a fresh practice bike going. So we go to Glenn Helen and he's deciding this at Glenn Helen as we're riding. And it's you know, Glenn Helen on Thursday, they used to water it pretty good. Your bike got fairly muddy. Comes back, bikes filthy, starts tearing the thing apart. Tears apart a dirty bike. <laughs> tears apart a dirty bike, has him fix the frame, re-powder coat it and puts the bike back together. Dirty. Never washes one part. So he has his bike, it's a brand new pristine, clean powder coated frame and dirty A-arms, dirty sling arm, dirty plastic, dirty motor, all in this brand new clean frame. It was the cra- craziest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, how do you even work on that thing? It's dirty. And he's just like, he's like, ah, it's fine. I'm just going to go ahead and run it. Just like, Are you kidding me? But, you know, that was Jeremy Chill.
0: That, that sounds like Jeremy. That solely sounds like Jeremy. You know, uh, I remember he was riding those KFX 400s for us. And every time he was collapsing the frame so the steering stem would collapse into the radiator and bust the radiator every race, it was just crazy. I mean, we're gusseting them and fixing them. I mean, it, I mean, I understand when you were talking about the woes you went through trying yeah. to keep a machine under that guy, the seven the hundreds were great. They didn't break. But those four hundreds. Oh my God. Constant. Yeah. It was a rotation. We, we get one in and we give him a fresh one. We get it back. We give him the fresh one. And yeah. it was just ridiculous. And you know, Eichner will Eichner rode one, the same model, same build, same everything the whole year. Yeah. We let Jeremy ride that bike one time and he broke it in half. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, um, when they, when they went production, you were the first guy on a Yamaha to go production. Yeah. Did you stay Yamaha for the 2005 season? So
1: in 03, like, uh, like we were talking before, like when 03, when that bike came out, the press release, I got that one. Um, Dan and Scott, again, thrashed, built some parts, Wayne did some shocks we get it to high point, um, raced high point on it. I got third third at that, had a few bugs with it, um, just because literally never wrote it until I got to the track um that weekend. Um, far as it being A arms and swing arm and axle and all that stuff, and never written a modified one till, till, till I at the track that weekend. Went went um rode quite a bit in between that Loretta's with Lorettas, um, won the pro production class on that. And then um they, like I said, when South Point that next weekend or the next race after that was the final that year. And then at the time I was riding for ALBA, um, they helped me out with the cross country program on the Cannondale. Um the, L- the LTZs that year, they were um, helping me out with those. Um so when we got the Yamaha deal, they were for oh for oh four. Um ALBA came in and stepped up and actually helped me out help me out even more. They provided me with mechanic, um, engine packages at the time. They, you know, they were, re- they were one of the first people I think to really do the, you know, come buy a bike from us and we'll completely deck it out, you know, off the shroom floor and give you a race bike or give you a dune bike or give you whatever you kind of want. That was kind of their big selling thing that they were doing at the time. So that kind of went hand in hand with my program and developing the race stuff for them. Um, you know, Rob, Rob, um, Vector over there and Phil, and there was a couple of people that were really instrumental in that whole program, making it happen, making it work really well. So four, we came out riding for Alba, riding a Yamaha, um, kind of like I had started the season in oh three three with, with the Suzuki, but it was all Yamaha. So yeah, oh four was all, you know, through Alba. And then, um, for five and six, I got a Yamaha um, factory sport deal. You know, Yamaha's never had a truck there, but they always, they do more of a factory support deal, give you a little bit of money, some parts. Um, But it was kind of, it was, I had the deal for 0405, but um, Alba supplied all the technical kind of side of stuff. Um, You know, they, for 0405, they worked out the suspension, suspension deal, the, a-arm deal, um, you know, parts like that on the bike, they were supplying and, and working out. We were kind of working together. Some people I've worked with in the past um, and some people that they had worked with on some of their stuff are selling stuff through the, through the dealership. But it was a five and six were, a, were Yamaha factory support um, with Alba supplementing that as well. So that's, that's how we did. Um, so four was out without Yamaha support, five was with and six was with. Um, but four and five, the bikes were awesome. I mean, far as power were awesome in four and five. I mean, um, the power was real good Four, we kind of worked through, um, a few new glitches on the bikes that we were learning because they were new. We we're learning things about them. We we're having some little failures on stuff that were just kind of getting worked out at the races. So four, four, we kind of struggled with some DNFs, um, five, we switched suspension companies and AM companies and the suspension, um, we were chasing our, not chasing our tail, but all year long, we were, we were testing and testing and testing and trying to get the suspension in all year long. <clears throat> so that was a little bit of a battle. And that's, and that's where, um, your nephew came in on that one, you know, with, uh, precision concepts, um, tuning the shocks, you know, we had an Elka program, and then, uh, precision concepts was tuning and your nephew was working for them. I think at the time, kind of, and then going to the races and, and tuning on my shocks, tuning on some other people's shocks. Um, and then 05 or yeah, oh no, sorry. Oh six Rob that was doing all the engine development at Alba, um, got a job at a different dealership and went to different dealerships. So the guy who started doing my motors at Alba, came in and and changed the whole engine package up on us. And, and then Alan went from being my shot guy to being my mechanic at the races. Um, but the engine package we had in six was, was not nearly what we had in four or five and six was a, was a struggle that year. It was a real big struggle. Um, I, I had been training with Dustin and Pat, um, with Dr. Dr. Rice from Moto, Moto TST, um, was feeling real good coming into six. And then, but the whole year, it was just, I don't think I've ever tasted so many jumps in my life. It was just everybody would clear stuff. And I was, I was riding that bike as hard as I could and I was going nowhere. And it was, it, by the end of the season, it, it was, it was super frustrating. Like, Throughout the season, like being in really, really good shape, riding a lot, but by the end of the season, I was pretty much deflated just from, just from trying my hardest. I've I probably ever tried in my life and just not, not being able to compete where I knew I could compete. Just, I just, just struggled. <laughs> it was frustrating.
0: Right. Right. How did, how did, was that your last year? Or did you continue on?
1: Yeah. So that, that was my official last year as a full-time national pro. Um, when I went to every race that year, um, they had the, that's the year the WPSA series started up. I went to the first round of WPS. Our first their doubleheader. So the first weekend, first weekend slash doubleheader did that. Um, but my contract was never to to do WPSA and I was at that point in time, I was paying the bill for just about, I was getting paid from Alba and from Alba and Yamaha and other sponsors, but far as, um, fuel, um, you know, expenses, things like that. I was I was footing the I was footing the bill that year. I mean, I think I, I looked back at my accountant told me that year I think I spent like almost thirty thousand dollars in fuel driving around because we had a had a toter home that year. Yep. And I mean, I I didn't I never made I never made any money racing. I paid bills. <laughs> I mean, if I had a little bit left over in a year, I, I was happy every time I sold a bike or something in the last couple of years. But I was listening to Joe's and listen to the money, you know, that he was getting paid or he says he's getting paid or whatever. And I was like, geez, that would have been nice. I mean, no, I mean, if I had that, if I was getting paid $10,000 or $30,000 to go win a race, I, I'd be taking people out. <laughs> 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 I'd, I'd be left turning people
0: off the starting line. I'd be doing everything I could. Uh, Well, you know, I mean, when you're racing for the dollar, you're racing for the dollar, man. Yeah,
1: You know, and then when, when I started out racing, you know, I, I just barely missed when I started, got into and started racing ATVs. I, I mean, people kind of talked about factory support, but I never personally saw it. And so my whole life racing was never about getting a factory ride. It was about going competing, having fun, you know, and when it and when this the money started coming in the last few years, you know I didn't, I I wasn't there for the money. I was there to I was there to compete and have fun and and do it. You know, I mean, a little bit of money i made paid my bills, and but it was never, I was never like oh, I'm going to make a you know million dollars this year or make a two hundred thousand or anything. It was just, you know, I was I was happy being able to go to the race every weekend, and not be behind when I left the race or not, you know, I mean, so I was going paycheck to paycheck, race to race. So anyways, in 06, I did the first WPSA just because it happened to be close. It happened following between a couple of nationals that I was back there for. Um, I didn't go to the other ones and because I didn't really have the budget to go to them. Um, and a couple of my or one of my sponsors for sure was pretty pissed at me for not going. Um, you know, they were like, why are you going to this thing? You know, cause it's, it's, you know, big, I think, or there might've been four rounds. I think, or I think there was three, maybe three. I went to, I went to two of them. I take that back. I went to, I didn't go to two of them. I didn't go to one and they were all pissed. I didn't go to them. Like, you know, pay me more. I, I'm literally, I'm, <laughs> I do not remember Jamie from Cardio stack. It was like a nutrition pill deal. We were at one thing and he's, and I'm like, dude, I, I got to drive from New Jersey, like how far. I'm like, I barely have gas money to pull out of this place. He's like, I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you, if you tape a pill bottle to your head to promote cardio stack, I'm like, sure thing. I,
2: yeah.
1: oh, I need a hundred bucks for fuel, you know? So Aye. there's, there's an WPA race somewhere. There's photos of me with a uh, pill bottles. Uh, I think we super glued it to my helmet.
3: <laughs> but, you
1: know, I got some people looked, but I think I got a couple of sponsors that were pissed about it. But I was like, man, I was I was barely getting by again from race to race. So, you know, and struggling all year and not having very good finishes definitely <clears throat> was not a help at right. that point time, you know. So last year was a little rough. I I put in a lot of effort, but um the return that Overall I saw from my results wasn't there. You know, my program just wasn't as strong as it was the years a couple of years before. I did I didn't, I think I did get one podium at a national that year. And I almost won a moto, but I pulled my kill switch out going <laughs> through some whoops. I was gapping we pretty good at, at um the race in Texas. I had the whoops down. I was skimming them and I think nobody else was. And I passed a few passed a few people and got up front and was actually going good just because I was out muscling the bike, I think, more than more than out out horsepowering anybody and got a little too excited and what I instead of like like, oh yeah, I'll take the motor win. I wanted to win as much as I could because I was so pissed because I just was struggling so bad. So I was just on kill to get the biggest gap I could to the finish line and got a little got a little crossed up and pulled the kill switch out in the middle of the whoop section. So I had to stop and start my bike. So I got like second or third in that moto, but I think I got third overall.
0: Mm. That's a heartbreaker. Yeah. I just poured a little salt in that wound.
1: Yeah, but I got on the podium. That's I don't think the win would have made a difference in overall, but I wanted the win just to prove a point. And I wanted to win as much as I could to prove a point too. But right. It didn't happen.
0: Yeah. So when you, when you rode at the end of seven, um, were you done or did you transition into a different model, you know, going to the Suzuki or. So
1: the end of, end of 06, um, was last year on the Omaha. And John Pellin is always, John Pellin is, or has always helped me out. I don't, I don't know why, but that guy, that guy, that guy's always like, had a soft spot for me and always helped me out, which is, which has been awesome because with the Cannondale stuff with, I mean, we go to, he would, get signed up to go to the KFX 400 or the, um, was that thing? The 400 or sorry, 700, the V4 700 intro. I go for it. I go and I'm his test rider, the Yamaha thing. I go and I'm his test rider. So he got me out there in front of a lot of the, a lot of the OE stuff and met a lot of people because of him. And he really helped me out a lot. Um, just kind of, we kind of clicked and we traveled a little bit and, you know, he was always trying to help me out and, you know, I was always trying to promote him as much as I could for his website at the time. Um, but anyways, he got a LTR in I know there were 06 LTRs or yeah, 06 LTRs. He got one in so the end of the year for 06, my Yamaha contract was up. Um, the, the way they, you know, when I started riding for Yamaha, it was, they didn't have a, it wasn't through the racing the racing side of stuff it was through marketing it was all marketing um deal. and the la- and in 06 they changed it from more of a marketing under the umbrella of marketing to more of under the umbrella of um they hired someone to come in and actually run the race side of it so that kind of changed my program a lot um so i didn't get, i didn't i got kind of an offer from them to ride still but it wasn't you know, and at the time, Alba was starting to see reduced sales on bikes and, and things and just, you know, that was when the, to me, I, to me, looking back, that's kind of when I could kind of start seeing the economy going down to me. Cause those end of those six beginning of those seven, not that numbers were falling crazy, but they had leveled up, leveled off from a lot of the people I talked to in the industry. Um, but it was still good but everybody's kind of starting to pull back a little bit and Yamaha a different direction. And the support that I, I needed to go run the nationals being on the West coast wasn't there for, wasn't feasible for me to go do it. Um, if I would have been, if I would have been living on the East coast, I would have, I would have found a way to do it. But you know, um, I quit my job three or four years before that and O two. So I was just living off of money I was making racing and without having that money, it was virtually impossible for me to go race nationals again. Um, so Pelman had a Suzuki. Um, and so I went and rode that thing and I didn't fall in love with it right at the beginning. It was kind of awkward and a little long for me. It just, it wasn't like I got on it and wrote it and was like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. I wrote it a little bit. Um, he had some parts on it. It was a magazine bike, but I was kind of trying to figure out if I could find some a way to get to the nationals. And I really couldn't. So I reached out to Wayne Henson um, in February and it was just like, or I think it was actually January. First of January. I'm like, man, I got to make my house payment. Got to pay bills in January from January. And I don't have any income at all. You know, I got to figure this out. I just, I sold the last, I sold a couple of my last race bikes to kind of get through and called them like, Hey, are are you guys hiring? Is anybody hiring? I mean, I need a job. Like, I don't know what to do. I need a job somewhere. You know, I gotta, I gotta make some money just to pay my bills. And, um, Wayne reached out to Brant Russell over at Yoshimura and Brant was like, well, it's me. So I met up with Brant and Wayne one day for lunch and, you know, Brent said, well, let me see what I can do. Um, you know I you know all the a t v stuff that we're kind of doing we kinda need someone to help us develop a few parts um it's kinda be our like a t d brand manager pretty much you know and and kind of help us out in that division um, cause we really don't have anybody or really but it's kind of in that you know you get like you, you you can help test parts you can help develop parts you can help all the stuff so um I went back met with him and Don Sucker Kura from Yosh and, and they ended up hiring me. So I had a paycheck. So nice. I, was happy I, could pay, I could pay my bills. I had a job. So I kind of got, I kind of got lucky in, you know, staying in the industry and not have to go lucky and, and lucky and unlucky, I guess <laughs> still suckered into in the industry. But, um, but yeah, so seven started off working for Yosh, you know, and I, I was, kind of a little bit better about the Yamaha deal parting ways and kind of what they offered me a little bit so it was like yeah I'm going to ride this Suzuki you know I'm going to I'm going to go ride quad cross on it you know the years before I never you know Dustin was Dustin's going out there dominating quad cross Jer- Jeremy shells winning quad cross a couple of years and it kind of it always kind of it always kind of sucked for me because that was like my local series. That was like my big local series quad cross is big. There was a lot of people going to it. And because the conflict with nationals, I can only run maybe two or three races a year, you know, and I go out there and, you know, win, do good at a quad cross race or, you know, I mean, I had definitely had the speed to go out and win them, win them, but I was never able to go compete for the championship at it. So I was like, if I am going to race nationals, I'm going to go I'm gonna go race quad cross. I'm gonna race a Suzuki and win it. You know that was kind of my so that was my focus for '07. Um, but with the Yoshimura deal, um, part of it kind of also started falling into doing some testing for the team. So as I started working there, I pretty much you know um, Ryan Cox was doing the motors and stuff, and and Rick Strickland was there doing shocks. So that I pretty much got a team bike. I built out of, out of the bike that that was Powell's magazine bike <laughs> and um went and raced quadcross and did testing that year for them i rode uh i rode Glen helen Glen Helen that year which was the second race they had Oak Hill at the first race um the team had a couple of problems with uh some tuning issues that they got changed on them last minute so they they detuned the they de-tuned the, <laughs> their bikes for the first for the second round. And then they put me on a bike. That was a full race bike for Glen Helen. Um, just to see if I was going to last. And um, I think I, I can't remember that. I know I went out and got like third or second or something. The first moto it was, I was, I did pretty good. The first moto. And the second moto I crashed in the second turn and <clears throat> got up. And I think I finished fifth after I crashed. Um, which, you know, back in that, those days and, you know, yeah, I mean, it wasn't this field of stack, you know, I mean, pretty much, I I think almost the whole time I rode nationals, it was, I always felt like I could win or there could be 10 different guys that could win. It was never, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, Chad and Joel kick ass They're they're faster than, than all get up. But, but I mean, those guys get tangled up crash, they're almost always first or second no matter what, you know, unless Thomas was snuck in there last few years, but
0: back then, people just people could charge, but you never know who was going to win. I mean, have you ever seen any footage of Bryce Ford? Yeah, Bryce is amazing. That kid. Dude.
1: Yeah, Bryce, Bryce,
3: you know, Bryce um, and
1: uh, uh, Max Lindquist, um, both those guys I think, you know, Chad, I think Chad still has a few more years, you know, Chad's changed his program up. Chad's getting, Chad's smarter than anybody else out there. It reminds me of Gary, Gary a lot. And that, and that far as his track smarts, um, but you know, Chad, I don't know how much, how much longer Chad can keep doing it, but he's doing it. And that's. I mean, I see him out there. I'm like, man, actually do does it. But but anyways, you know, Mac Lindquist and and Bryce, I think, are gonna be your I think your next two next two, you know, Chad and Joels, basically.
0: I haven't got to see footage footage on Max. I got to talk to Max and had him on the show and and, and he's smart kid. Uh, it seems like he's got a super bright future in ATV racing. Um, and, and I haven't got to Bryce, him and I haven't connected yet, but I've got to watch footage and I got excited watching him because he just in the little bit that I watched was beating
3: Joel and pressuring
0: Chad and, 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 and it came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know who the kid was and I'm why I watched it three times thinking, you know, Joel's going to get him. Joel's gonna That's not Joel. <laughs> you know? And I, I was impressed. I, I can't wait to talk to him because I want to, I want to find out what makes him tick and see what he's doing. He seems super focused for this year coming up. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of good things happening.
1: Yeah. I, I think this year is going to be, it's I think for, for motocross, this might be one of the better years as far as, uh, a deeper field, um, out there, you know, I mean, not, not taking away from Thomas. Tom, I mean, Thomas would always sneak up there. Thomas was, Thomas was a great rider. I mean, he really progressed. He always did really good. But he was always there to capitalize on some of those mistakes or, you know, he'd have days where he'd click and he, and he could to win. But I think you're going to see, from what i have seen um I think you're gonna see four or five guys that probably could win almost any weekend you know i don't I don't know if um I think Chad's smarter than them just because of his experience. I think Joel's getting there, and Joel doesn't make as many mistakes as he used to um but yeah i think I think you're gonna have i think it's gonna be be a deeper field this year with definitely some people you know changing up the wins and the podium.
0: I think that you're going to see a development year out of Joel because he's switching to a different brand. There are some little nuances that are different and he's developing as a man. He's developing as a rider. He's developing as a racer. And you know, this, I mean, you, you, you did this yeah. and oh. I can see growth coming and I think that his growth is going to put him in the championship spot. Maybe not this year, but the years to come where those kids are going to put a hurting on him and take some moto wins away from him. But I don't think they're going to get as dominant as him because they still have to go through the learning curve.
1: Yeah. it'll, It'll be like, like Joel was the first, you know, four or five years of Chad's championship championships, you know, he'll come in they'll come in and they'll they'll probably win a race or two. But I think, I think Chad, I think, you know, experience makes up for a lot. I mean, Chad's not stupid. He's smart. He knows how to ride the right lines, not wear himself out, not make mistakes. He's, he's really knows his setup. He knows what to change. I think Joel's getting there now too. I think Joel, to me in the last three years or so, three years, four years, has made a big improvement. Um, I remember back in 15, 16, the year I went to the national last year with the nationals and, and, um, helped Alex and wrench for him. Um, and I was helping Davey a little bit as rider coach and I was under their tent, you know, and watching Joel, he was still bouncing off everything. And, um, they didn't quite have their shock style then, you know, and they did a lot of work. Um, Jay, Jay and, Casey and impact solutions guys with Elk and stuff. And then next year there was a big change. I think that was in the next year, maybe Joel won,
0: but yeah. didn't they bring roll in?
1: Yeah. Roll was there that year, um, helping and stuff too, you know, and they got, you know, I think Joel calmed down a lot and they got the bike work and really did it too. The bike from one year to the next year, I think it was maybe 15, 16 or 16, 17, Joel's bike got way better. And I think it, getting better helped him improve and he'll and improve as a rider as well because the bike works so much better. Yep. You know, and that's when I kind of saw the change in Joel. Once they got that bike dialed in, he could ride the thing better. And he started riding smarter as well, too. I think he had enough he was starting to have enough falling off and <laughs> enough things like that that he kind of kind of the same learning curve Chad had for a long time, you know, on Suzuki's and the Cowies and the and the Can Ams.
0: You, you know, you 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 look at Joe and you know joe bird yeah. and you look at some of the things he did in his early career you know where he just rode things into the ground oh yeah and you look at chad and when he was younger riding the hondas dude he, you couldn't keep a bike underneath him because he broke it in half yeah no I, I you know you have to learn how not to destroy your machine and go fast at the same time
1: yeah and that was you know that was the the frustrating part when I, you know, when I, when I started um, managing the Suzuki team was even before that, the year before in 07, I went to the first national no kill when Chad was on a Honda, Ryan Cox and I were standing behind the starting line. There's this big long whip section going by the starting line and we're standing there watching practice and Chad comes through and just muscles the bike. Those are the thing that a gear higher than everybody else. And Ryan, Ryan and I look at each other. We're like, like, shoot, we're in trouble. Like this kid's on it. Like that was the first race Chad, you know, from for his first pro race. And after he spent all winter, you know, basically transforming himself, you know, from, from a pro guy to a pro. And, you know, when he made that commitment and decided he was going to dedicate his life to it. I mean, he came out swinging that first race and Ryan, Ryan and I were just like, Oh no, <laughs> Like we got somebody else and this kid's fast, <laughs> really fast, you know? And I mean, I, 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 mean, Chad was hanging around, you know, hanging around the pits quite a bit and around our trailer quite a bit in those six, um, him and Alan White were really good friends. So he was always in the trailer and bullshit and stuff with us. But yeah, I mean, when he came out that race, like, Oh man. But then he, he, I think he crashed and only be crashed or he broke. And we're like, Phew. you know, didn't, they have to kind of worry about him. And then go to, and then we go to, go to Glen Hillen and he, I think he set the fastest qualifying time. And I think he might've dominated the first moto and broke the second one. I don't remember what happened, but I know he broke, but he was, he, he, if he wouldn't have broke either of those first two races, he would have won them, you know? And, that, and then Suzuki had, had to find a third rider because of the, the Red Bull rockstar conflict. And you know, a, I remember I remember Rod DePuznet calling me and talking to me and was like, hey, you in the first couple of races, you know, what do you, you know, what do you, you know, is there anybody out there? We should. What do you think? You know, kind of just wanted my feedback a little bit. You know, so I'm thinking I'm like, man, Chad's, you know, Chad, Chad's a different guy than it was last year. He's got the speed. He's got the determination. You know, what I mean, for someone that needs a ride, he's he's your guy, you know, and they, they looked at a couple other people and they discussed it internally and stuff. And, you know, I think Ryan, Ryan talked to Pat or Ryan talked to Pat and Rod as, as well. And, you know, and kind of, they came to conclusion that Chad was the guy that they needed for that spot, you know, just to, to appease the sponsors for that year that we had to, or that they had, they had to have under the tent. So that's how the whole, I mean, that's how the whole chat thing came about. It, you know, they needed somebody and Chad Chad, you know, Chad was Chad had speed, but like you said, he that year he just he would ride the bike till it broke. I mean, there was no babying it. He his mindset was you need to make this bike last. Not yeah. not not in and, and it was and I was getting back to this frustrating because the whole team, everybody on the team that year, I mean Jeremiah that was there every race you know, everybody would talk to him and be like, Chad, just calm down, ride the bike. You're faster, everybody. You can, you can win a race. You can win, you can, you can win a championship. You just got to calm down. And, and he just, I, I think, you know, like, like I did uh, at that Oak Hill race, it wasn't, it wasn't about winning. It was about going out and showing everybody that, you know, that you are the fastest guy. It wasn't about, you know, you just want to go out and he wanted to go out and just, Prove a point, you know, I think, but then, but then he also felt like the bike should hold up no matter what. And that's, we had a lot of things break, a lot of burnt clutches, a lot of burnt clutches. The uh, pit stunk a lot from him. And we went through a lot of different oils testing that year to come up with an oil that would hold up to him. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, he went, to, he went to Cowie and I think they had some similar issues. And I think finally, by the time he went to, to Can-Am, I think he finally started realizing that he'd ride a little smarter, you know? And I think by the time he got to the he, he had it figured out and kind of think you look back and saw, saw everything that was going on and realized he was a fast guy. He didn't need to prove that point maybe and make the bike last, you know?
0: It, it would have been nice. It, it would have been nice if he would have learned earlier. But it would have been scary for the rest of everybody else because he was dominated oh. for, you know, 10, 12 years.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, he was a big, he, and in 06, he was a bigger dude. Like he was, I don't know exactly what he weighed, but he probably dropped 20 or 30 pounds if not more from program to pro, you know, and him playing football, he was strong. I mean, he could muscle the bike, ride the bike, you know, he's, and I think, I think that's, you know, carried over all these years and it kind of, and it kind of transitioned, transitioned into his riding style too. I mean, he rides, if you watch him ride, he never sits down. Like everybody else sits down all the time and Chad's a strong, he, I mean, he never sits down on the bike. He lets the bike work, yep. you know? And I mean, he ha- he has a, you know, definitely different riding style than a lot of people, but it's cause he's strong. The guy's just an animal. I mean, <laughs> him. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the, the guy has a ton of heart and he wants to win. I mean, he, he has from 0, 07 on, I mean, he's had as much heart or more than anybody out there. And it, he wears it on a sleeve and he, he, he tries
0: hard and he knows he can win. I got to talk to him a few weeks ago and, uh, you could tell in the conversation, it's like, he's still 19 years old. And it's the first time he's going to a national, and he's just so excited he wants to go right for a guy that doesn't show a lot of emotion, you could still get the emotion out of him and tell that he's fired up, ready to rock and roll
1: he's He's always been a super happy go lucky guy i mean always i mean that's he always has a smile on his face it seems like seemed like you know when when I was around, he always was pretty happy to be there unless <laughs> unless he had it mechanical. But I mean, he was always, he always had, he always lined up the pits for sure. I mean, coming in, you know, he's always joking around and everybody, everybody always, always liked to be around him. Maybe not the other racers, but, but everybody on the team for sure. He he was always a great guy to have under your tent. And just cause of his
3: attitude, you know,
1: Right. as far as the crew, he always, he always, no matter what was going on, everybody in the crew, he kind of, kind of raised everybody's attitude and made everybody, you know, happier or excited or happier to be in there. Kind of almost like a Paul Turner, but not that extreme.
0: <laughs> you know, I haven't asked this question in, in, in quite a while. Um, if you wanted to, to line up at your best, when you were on your best on your best machine, who are the other 19 guys you want to race against? And you don't have to get to 19, but you know,
1: the, well, I mean, the person that to me was that I was, I always wanted to be I made mean, just growing up and just got in my head was or not got in my head, but was Gary just because Gary was smarter. <laughs> Gary was the smartest guy on the track always. He may not have been the fastest guy, but he could win because he was smarter. Yep. I mean, whether it be his line selection, his bike setup. I mean, I, I always looked up to Gary because he was smart, and it wasn't. You know, he he had natural talent, but he also, he just outsmarted everybody. I mean, he would, he'd want, he'd he'd pass you and you'd see his lines. You're like, why the hell is he going over there? And you also, you see him and you're like, well, that's why there's no holes over there, you know, or whatever it may be, or he's going over there to cross over here. I mean, the staying with Gary, the few times I did and, and doing some riding stuff with him, he taught me a lot. I mean, it it made a it made a difference on on how I looked at how I looked at the track as far as line selection. Um just he he really broke it down when I worked with him, all the you know obstacles and why do this and why do that, think about this and think about that and look ahead and plan what you're doing. And so I mean, Gary is always someone that I wanted to be. And if you know, if if you had a race in your head and you wanted to go out and beat somebody, Gary was like one of the best, you know? So, I mean, who doesn't want to race one of the best guys that ever raced or smartest guys actually.
0: The best thing about Gary was he knew the points and the point breakdowns (laughs) and counted it every race. Yeah. So he knew where he needed to finish as the year went on and he could finish there. Yeah, he didn't have to win. He didn't have to exert that much energy, you know. I hey, I, a third today is okay. I'll take the third. Gary, Gary was super smart,
1: and he had a ton more of race experience
2: than anybody else, too. You know, well, I mean, he, he had, whole,
0: he had already ride. all the things that you you guys were learning. Yeah, he had already learned in the motorcycle yeah. world and was bringing it over.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, um, you know, Gary, Gary is one Tim, you know, Timmy's Timmy is another one. Timmy's was always super smart, you know, and kind of like Gary, you know, but, you know, him, Timmy and Gary are probably a couple of the smart guys out there on the track and far as on and off the track, what they were doing with bikes and bikes and, you know, just the middle side of it, far as on the track, knowing what to do and, you know thinking about things and stuff and those those are always the guys that I you know I really want them you know is it's something to get out of horsepower but to me in the mental side of outsmarting a guy on a track or or taking a different line and passing somebody that's that's what always excited me on the track. I mean that's that's why I always loved Mount Morris. I think it always did so good there because he used to have a bunch of off camera turns at the time. And it was all about line selection. do you know? Go inside, go outside, sweep past somebody. It was slick, blue grooved, off camber. You really had to ride the bike, you know. And that's that was that was kind of my I I felt like I was always a little more technical, maybe because I was heavier, so I had to be. Because um, I just had you know like a Shane had just a bunch of power and have much power and, and no weight and could kind of go wherever, you know. I had to really ride the bike. I felt like I had to ride the bike more finesse and a little more. a little smarter on my line selection to, to get that advantage, you know, so that's kind of, I feel like where I always tried to excel if I could, you know, so I I always like being those smarter guys, rather than out horsepower somebody or, you know, or something like that, I guess.
0: Well, you, you got to take, you got to look at some of the champions. There's some pretty smart guys and some pretty seasoned seasoned dudes that you can, that you could put on that line. You know, you can take Chad, you could put Joel on there. You could put, um, Doug Gust, Yeah. you know, Joe bird, uh, you know, I mean, these guys, they're, they're, there's a list of guys, you know, you could even go back and, and get some of your older guys. Rodney Gentry was the first guy, you yeah. know, I mean, he rode so nothing like you ever rode. I mean, he basically rode archaic machines that didn't work that good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I got the privilege of uh, you know, racing with Rodney there for a couple of years when he came back, you know, and I think it was mid nineties. Yep. He came back and rode a year or two, I think. Um, so, I mean, we got to ride with him a little bit, but you know, I think he, he, he definitely was still fast. But I think just being, you know, off for those years, you know, I mean, he, he won think like, one championship or two or whatever it was mm-hmm. the first couple of years. Um, but, you know, I mean, he was, he ran up front, a couple of races ran really good, but I think just him being away for that little bit of time, everybody kind of elevated a little bit where he kind of come back and dominate, but he was still, he was still very competitive, very competitive, you know, I got to write, we got to write him for a little bit, um, but yeah, there's, just like I said, I kind of I I don't know my my opinion is you know the the '90s mid late '90s you know were super competitive. I mean, to me, the field was stacked. And I I look back on it I'm like, yeah, I didn't I didn't win hardly any races in, but I always felt like that anybody could win. It wasn't you might have a year that someone. Was you know, Timmy won a year and was maybe fairly dominant, and Shane was dominant the next year, but or a little bit. But it was never, you know, it was always you know, or Doug would win a few races. There's always the the top three. You never you couldn't you couldn't ever almost guarantee who was going to be on the podium. You know, the field is so stacked that there, there could be ten different people on the podium. You know, any day. It just it is just. Who was feeling it? Who got a start? Who had their best setup that day?
0: You know? Yeah. That, that kind of started weaning out you know, and then at 2011, 2012, yeah. the field started getting smaller and smaller. Might have started a little sooner than that, but yeah, I think
1: when the, you know, when the factories went away, um, there was people that were there making a bunch of money. And when they went away, they were just like, well, I'm not going to pay for this out of my pocket. You know, I'm done. And they just, some people have never even ridden a bike since then, or you know. I mean, I mean, but also I don't blame them too for I'm not spending a ton of their money, you know. But yeah, I definitely it, it changed a lot and evolved a lot when the factories went away. Because um,
3: I think everybody saw that money and then it went away, and then just
0: I think that the factories coming, yeah, it was a good thing, but it was also a bad thing because the factories didn't help the independents if they would have brought the independence with them so that we could have carried the torch after they left it would have been great but they decimated us yeah. and left us with a big bill to fill uh, to pay these guys and none of us were able to to, to consume that debt yeah. in order to well, take I think paychecks. I think
1: I think the outlook of a lot of the writers has changed um cuz like I said you know when, when I started doing it Nationals. It wasn't to get a factory ride. It wasn't to make a bunch of money. Nobody's making money, and I think everybody sees that now. And and you know, I'm still in the industry, but I'm on the other side of it now. I we, you know, in the company I work for, we sponsor a lot of people, and and we get we get all kinds of people that that feel like they deserve a lot for a little. You know, I think the mindset's changed a lot. People, there's, don't get me wrong, there's still a ton of people that are appreciative for everything they get, but there's a lot of people too that you couldn't give them enough. No matter what you did for them, you can't give them enough. And that's, that's really, that's kind of really unfortunate. Because I mean, I
3: I remember, I remember, um, you know, I think, I
1: think it was when I won San Diego, Mickey Thompson, Tommy Berber comes up to me and I didn't know Tommy Burba at all. I didn't know who he was. He was up to me after the race and goes, hey, you know, I see you got a pro design kill switch on your bike. You know,
3: I'll, you know, call me up. I'll get you another one. And I just remember going, I already got one.
1: Why do I need another one? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it wasn't, oh yeah, I got your kill switch. You need to pay me. You know, I mean, I was there to have fun. I'm like, I don't. why do I need that? You know, I mean, now it's like, well, I'm running your kill switch. You need to pay me because I have it on there you know, that's the mindset's changed a lot um, in the racing. You know, I deal with a lot of side-by-side guys and also ATV guys. And it's not, not just, it's not ATV guys in general. It's, it's the whole industry. Everybody has changed, you know, and that's to me, to me, I still look at like, why are you out here? You're out here to have fun. That's, if you're not having fun, why are you here? You know, it's, (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't know they because of the change, they don't realize what it is. And they don't realize that I don't think anybody's educated people on what sponsorship really is. Sponsorship is an extension of the company that, that gives you the product. So if you accept those tires or if you accept those rims, or if you accept that exhaust pipe, you are accepting a paycheck to sell that product for your sponsor not to get your buddies to call up and get his, get your deal, but to sell your buddies, those tires or those rims or those deals at retail so that your sponsor can afford to take care of you. Yeah. If you don't want to assume the job, don't take the part.
1: Yeah. you know, but that, that'll, that'll, I mean, like you said, they think the factories kind of did that, but it was, it's, it's on the sponsorship side. It's, you know, there's there, I mean, as far as people we've sponsored, we've lost riders to other companies because they come in and they'll pay more or they'll pay them and we don't, or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, but you also, I guess got to look at what you're getting in return. Some people are worth, some people do a great job promoting your product. Some people don't, (laughs) you know, and sometimes you never know. Sometimes the guy who, who never makes a main event or never finishes on the podium is your best sales guy. He's out there promoting better than in the guys out there winning championships. Sometimes, you know, it's crazy.
0: Which, you know, I can tell you for a factual thing from my side of it, watching it, we've had people that were just guys at the racetrack sell more product than the pro that just won the race. Yeah. By far, hands down. So, I, that guy wants something, I give it to him every time because, you know, I see a broken part on his bike or uh, his silencer needs to be repacked. I just give him a new silencer because that guy sold me, you know, three pipes and a silencer and a, and on two motor kits the race before, yeah. you know, and uh, you could take care of that guy, you know, whatever he needs. You don't necessarily tell him that you're taking care of him. Yeah. But if when he needs something, you just, you know, hey, you know what, this, you know, thank you.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a two way street, you know, like we've got people that get upset because, or go somewhere else because they think they're going to get more, more promotion or something out of, out of someone else than us. Or, um, you know, when I, when they do that, I look, I'm like, well, what did you get? And you know a year later, I don't see anything, you know, well, good luck, knock stuff <laughs> up. you know, <laughs> but yeah, you gotta, it's, it's sometimes, it's, it's sometimes it's a crapshoot, man,
0: <laughs> you throw Run stuff out there, yeah. you know? Been rid for a set of tires. Nice. Yeah. I hope that worked out for you.
1: Yeah. But I mean, like I said, I, I have, I have, I have one guy that I helped out. I've been helping out for a little while. And um, I don't know if, I don't know if he's ever even gotten the podium, but man, the guy is just like, <laughs> he's all over like just promotion stuff. I mean, it's crazy.
0: I and mean, it's like, we love helping him out. Cause he pushes. It pushes, you know, I mean, and, and and that's, that's what it is, is, is people have to understand and be thankful. You know, They, they may never be the fastest guy. Um, and I would take a handful of, of maybe mid pack pros, that are just thankful to be there that are just loving their life and loving the fact that they get to go race. Um, then the guy that's number one, most of the time, you know, granted, we've, we've all had our time with the, with the, on the top of the box or with people that are, um, so on and so forth. But I, I like the, uh, I like the the people that treat you with the respect so that you can treat them with respect back. Yeah. You know, no, stick but, out. just, you know, shake my hand and let's, let's be friends and and let's talk and enjoy the, enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy our people that we get to meet. I mean, you know what it's like, you got to like, we were talking before we started the, the, the show, the friends you made back there are lifelong friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, know, you may not see them. You may not talk to them for months, but when you do talk to them, it's just like yesterday.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like, I was telling you, like I was, I was trying to find some pictures to send you, you know, the, for the, you know, for you guys to post on Instagram and stuff to promote this. And I'm looking through like pictures and I found a picture of Dustin Wimmer sleeping. Cause he's, he was always sleeping, always sleeping. I mean, he'd be on the storyline, he'd be asleep, you know, be in the pits, he'd be asleep. You know, and I found this picture of him sleeping in the pits in between a moto at WPSA in 07. And I sent it to his friend, Jeff, that I talked to all the time that we're, we're, I met because of Dustin. And Jeff and I talk all the time, just BS. And we're always, we're always begging, begging on Dustin a little bit, just as cause we're, cause we know, Dustin and just his quirks and stuff. And having, having a good time, probably at Dustin's expense a little bit. <laughs> but I sent the picture to Jeff and I don't think, I don't think it was 30 seconds. Dustin calls me. He's like, oh my God, that picture. He starts, you know, and so I ended up talking to Dustin yesterday for probably a half hour, you know, and he's like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I'm wearing this picture and what the hell is on my hat? And I realized the reason why I took the picture, I'm sleeping, is because he was riding for Rockstar, or not Rockstar, he was riding for Red Bull in 07. He was sleeping and we stuck a rock star sticker on his on his hat. <laughs> took <Take> a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize it when I sent the picture over. He was dying laughing about, oh my God, you guys put a rock star sticker on my hat. Blah, blah, blah You know, so you know, I had talked to Dustin for a little while, but no, you know, we would be bullshitting for a half hour, 45 minutes, just catching up. And you know, he just had a little he just had another little boy and we just had another little boy or our first boy. So we were just BSing about kids and stuff and you know, what's going on. He's running his parents' boat, boat, boat sales business now. So, you know, he was to ask him about that and just, just life stuff, you know? So it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, like I said, just, you know, there's people, you know, people you meet you still don't talk him for, I haven't talked to Dustin probably in six months or a year and calls me, you know, calls me out of the blue kind of, and just bullshit for a half hour. And it's, it's like, we just talked yesterday, you know? So it's, you know, you definitely do have some of those relationships that you mean along the way, and those are those are worth a lot, you know
0: exactly <laughs> they are and uh have you found anything in your life to take the place of racing <laughs> um so I don't know if you heard I did go
1: <laughs> race uh works race the first round. <laughs> I went and, uh, uh we, class. what's that? What did you race the pro class? No. Oh no, 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 oh, <laughs>
2: no. Come on dude. You're, a, you're a pro. That works.
1: Um, so Grand Prix and I do not get along first off, but like long races, I either always broke or crashed. <laughs> I finished very few like Atlanta Grand Prix, big six Grand Prix's, Elsinore Grand Prix. I don't know if I ever finished one, uh, about breaking or crashing. Um, but anyways, Gallag- Johnny Gallagher was here uh, a few weeks ago, right before that first round of works, and he had his bikes here. And Jared McClure happened, to- <laughs> Jared McClure and Kate Osborne actually happened to be in the area doing some mountain biking out here, and then they found out there's a works race. So they Jared found a bike, Kate found a bike, and they're gonna go racing. We're over right there they're in the area, so Johnny's staying at my house. So, <clears throat> So Jared's here, Johnny's here we're, we're grilling and having a couple beers and, and we're kind of giving Johnny grief about not racing, not racing works. Cause originally the plan was he's was going to come out and train a little bit and race and race that first round of works. And then he's, it was going to be a prim and they moved it to the Havasu. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And he's here with a couple of bikes. So we are giving grief and somehow it comes up. Well, if Corey, Corey, if you race, well, well, Johnny, will you race? And Johnny's like, he's not racing. I haven't ridden in, A year and a half, I think it's been a while. (laughs) So I'm like, I'll I'll race if I can ride plus forty because I haven't thrown a leg over a bike in a year and a half. And he's like, all right, I'll race then. So I showed up on Sunday, (laughs) didn't even practice, and just went out and rode plus (laughs) forty. So, um, but at
3: Havasu,
2: but luckily, like Havasu.
1: Um, luckily I was third moto on sunday so my first two laps it wasn't too rough but by the end it was pretty beat (laughs) not as bad as the pros but for me not riding for so long i i was i was done i was done after like the third lap and i think that was only like 15 minutes in i still had a half hour to go (laughs) i cruised a lot i haven't ridden since then um but I did, uh, I got some new graphics in SSI the other day with some works numbers on it. I got a works membership. So I couldn't go the last round cause I was getting ready to go to GNCC to dri- drive the display truck controller to GNCC. But, um, I am going to try to go to the next round at, back at Havasu, unfortunately, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> um, nice. but yeah. And then I'm, I, I'm actually leaving tomorrow to go to California. I got to go to the office, get some work done. Um, and then we, we are a title sponsor of a race series out at Glen Helen, um, the stadium short course series. So it's kind of like a Mickey's right. that, 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 uh, Lori's putting on, we're the title sponsor of it. Um, but I kind of, I went to her with an idea based pace of like, hey, you know, the Mickey's were s- super fun to do super easy. You didn't have to be in shape. You know, there's no big jumps. Um, you can, the spectators can see the whole stands, you know, the Lucas tracks just a little bit too fast for a quad and even a side by side, in my opinion, just wide open. So I was like, Hey, let's run a race on the Lucas track, but kind of zigzagging around a little bit, slow it up a little bit. Um, kind of do some grassroots kind of style racing, try to get some people that may have never raced come out and try it and they can do something pretty mellow and have fun. And the guys who are racing works or Lucas or the quad guys want to come out and race. It's something that you can come do. And it's basically show up on Saturday morning. They're all Saturday races show up Saturday morning, hit a practice race, two motos, and you're out by three o'clock, you know, a nice, easy, short day, get some racing in, it goes really quick. Um, but on a track that's pretty mellow and safe. So Lori was like, yeah, let's do it you know, so she started the series. We're sponsoring it. Um, last year was the full season, first full season of it. And then the first race got rained out this year. And so going this weekend, I'm going to actually try to ride at it. And it's our it's the first race of the, of the series this year. That's so awesome. it's kind of, kind of something fun for the local guy to kind of do. And there's not as many, especially for the ATV guys. There's not as many local races. There was, you know, even 10 years ago or five years ago. So and the old guys and then come out and have fun and ride something mellow. They're not going to be in shape, you know. So we get some older guys like me <laughs> show up and Maddie. Maddie. can ride. It's you know, it's 10 15 minute moto and it's fairly smooth track, but still gets you tired. So
0: yeah, so I, I'm probably go out there and, and do pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I wrote the last time I
1: rode before that works race was a year and a half ago at that, and I was pretty pretty tired when it was <laughs> even. it's more of a sprint. Um, you know, and I, and I rode, uh, rode the pro class at that. And I think Logan Huff was there and somebody else. And yeah, I think Logan might've won. I think I might've got second or there may, there was something else that was there. I got third. Maybe I can't remember, but yeah, I was looked, <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, I, I can't, I grew up racing. I, 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 I like it. I love it. You know, it's been my life. Um, I'm not the guy that has to walk away from it. Like a lot of like some other people have done just never throw a leg over machine again. Like I, I can't get away from it. I might, I
0: might for a little bit, but I, I, I enjoy it too much. How does your wife handle that? She's the one, put, I think she was
1: the one that suggested I race. It works. <laughs> she, 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 you know, she, she, you know, she never, when I met her, um, when I met her I, I as after I was racing nationals, so she really never got to see me ride, you know, very competitively other than just some local stuff. So she enjoys, she enjoys going out and watching and she enjoys being at the races and, you know, she gives me, you should go out and race. She, you should go out and race. And then I get there and she's like, well, don't fall off and don't get hurt. You know? And I think okay. I was at a quad cross race a of years ago and there was, I was battling, I was battling with a kid and I wanted to, I don't know what got into me in the second moto, but I wanted to beat that kid so bad, so bad. And I made a last ditch effort pass to pass more of the finish line. went on and they had a pretty big tabletop and I landed half on the tabletop, half off the side, cartwheeled myself, you know, and she's like, what are you doing out there? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Try I, to just, win. I was trying to win. You know, luckily it was soft and I stood up and was totally fine. But, oh. but man, for a minute there, I, I thought I was in like 2005, six for a win, you know, local race. So I, I still, am, I'm still competitive. I think I can go fast, but I don't have the stamina and I know it. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, like that works race. I, I, I really probably 75% most of it. Just, I know how fast I can go and try and pace myself and be smart and not. I know I got to work in the morning. <laughs> have a family. So try to be as smart as I can, you know, but I, I
0: still enjoy being out there. Like, I don't know if that will ever go away for sure. That's freaking awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Um, my wife's never seen me ride you know i mean i'm no 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 pro like you but yeah. she's seen me test a few bikes uh but never seen me race never never even never even dreamed that i would ever go to the starting line again uh, i mean i have a a couple of physical issues that are that are that keep me from having that desire i mean trust me in the back of my mind i might you know i i might be able to go race my guys again you know i you know i maybe uh, but Something always comes up, and no, not going to have it. And every bike that I've built sells. I mean, before I even get it finished, it's somebody else is riding it, you know. And I and you need to, you need to quit building such nice bikes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, you put some broken plastic on there, a bunch
1: of zip ties, and mm-hmm. don't pay anything. Make it run, make it work good, but just don't make it look
0: nice. You know, when I was when I was learning when I was a kid and I worked for my dad uh, you know and we when we were just a regional company and you know we were just just riding three wheelers. Um mine were ratty pieces of crap. <laughs> and you know if I'm gonna ride something now it's gotta it's gotta have all the good stuff on it and work good or I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. And uh I, I have a couple projects I'm building and my, my grandkids are going to go to school. What do you mean, grandpa? You're supposed to be building our bikes. Um, Yeah, because I have grandkids' bikes in the middle of everything that aren't done. I had to go buy a 400 EX for my oldest grandson because I never got his LT80 done. <laughs> so, number two grandson is standing there growing like a weed, looking at that LT80 going, Yeah, by the time you get it done, you might as well buy me a 450. <laughs> And I'm just like, Oh God, but I, I have a couple of four fifties that I'm building and, and, um, I might keep one. I really might. Will I race it? I don't know. Will I ride it? I don't know, but I might keep it for something that, uh, that shows what I do. You know, I'd like to have my race bike back that I, that I raced at works in 2005, but it was hammered when I sold it, and it's really hammered now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that's the only good. That's the only good thing. Is like I, I think
1: thirteen. Like I think got, I got a thirteen ZR. I had a fourteen. I think maybe, and then I got a seventeen. That's what I have now. But like I don't ride enough, so I don't. As a I think I've, I've had that bike since seventeen. I think it has twenty-seven hours on it. I just, broken. I, just, I just put a new, put a new top end in it. Cause it's, it's, it's built, but it's, it's, uh, basically piston up. you know, it has, has a head and everything on it and tune, you know, I'm your PP took care of me and has been helping me out last or last few years or anything. I kind of need, I call him up and he, I think mean he likes to help out of here or something, an old school guy or something, you know, anytime I call me, oh, whatever you need, whatever we need, you know? So, He's, he's, him, him and Wayne have, I think probably, you know, Yamaha helped me out with that bike. And, you know, the people that have helped me out with that bike, if it wasn't for those people, I probably wouldn't be racing, but I'm glad they did. And I just kind of keep freshening up a little bit. And, you know, from the 13, 14, I kind of swapped parts, kept it freshened up and just kind of, you know, kept the same bike, but same parts, you know, front end from one to the other and it's a little bike and stuff. So. That's all. Yeah, those are for those people. who you know, still helping me out. I probably wouldn't be out there just because it's expensive.
0: So it is. Didn't get know. any cheaper,
1: did it? No, no, not at all. Not one bit.
0: <laughs> but yeah,
1: no, it's I, 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 I love. Her. I mean, I love riding quads. I mean, I wish I could do it more than I do. You know, my wife. When I met her, she had LTR. You know, so she was into riding quads, and you know, I think she raised a big six before I even met her. So. <laughs> So, I mean, she, she likes coming out and stuff and too, you know? So hopefully, uh, you know, we can do some family, more family trips and red quads and
0: stuff. That's, that's where it's all about, man. And you, and you, you keep the, you keep the wheels rolling, you keep it in, in the family, and you keep the ATV industry going by teaching the young, um, and, that's where it's all at. And that's what we hope you keep doing and hope you keep riding. And, and, uh, I want to know how you do after your next race. So make sure you reach out to me. You're not going to come out and cheer me on. Uh, I, saw you, I saw you at the last works race. I, I stopped in, I was visiting some family with my wife in Arizona. And, uh, I made a point to stop into the race and say hi to my works family. I missed them all. And uh, we got to do a little promotion there for ATV Talk, and I think we promoted the work series pretty well. Um, uh, so it's kind of funny. Randy Perry uh, will, when this episode drops, uh, comes out. Randy Perry's episode will be, you know, already listened to and 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 past gone. But his episode will drop on Friday, uh, and we're Thursday night. Uh, tape in this episode. So uh, everybody gets a feeling for how much content we, we build content ahead so that um, for any mistakes or any problems that we have, or we're, we're, set up and, and not going to stress too much. I get, I get a little nervous when I don't have um, a plenty of content. So uh, I'm, you know, I started this and I want to make sure that it keeps rolling. And, but. I'm working with a young man. We're gonna go do some riding on Sunday. Um, and I'm gonna do some training to to get him centered to 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 calm him down a little. Bring Um, him up to Glen Hill on Saturday. Um it's not the place. And I already have I already have something to do on Saturday, so I can't. Um I have to go do something for my grandkids. Yeah. Um but on Sunday I'm gonna take him out and we're gonna ride a little bit and uh and get get him going and and if things work out I will uh may maybe go to have a suit with him as okay. well.
1: Yeah no that was actually the first time I ever raced a works race believe it or not. Nice. I've I've never done one before. I just I like I said I'm not a grand prix person, I'm a cross person. Um yeah, so that was that was new for me,
0: you know. But it was if was I remember cool. correctly you've had some pretty, pretty spectacular get-offs at the GP's <laughs> that you were, uh, using as training for the nationals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lano, I, I just about totaled the bike there. I think one year and I think on a Cannondale, I went off the cliff at,
0: at uh Lake Elsmart Grand Prix. Yeah. I remember that. Bike there. <laughs>
1: you
0: know. I remember, I remember Adelano. I remember hearing about the, the, the ramifications of Adelano. And I think I was there when you, when you did that, um, at Lake Elsinore. Yeah.
1: The, <laughs> I think too, I think Doug had something to do with me not wanting to race Grand Prix either. Cause I think it might've been the first Alano Grand Prix I went to. It was so dusty. I couldn't even see. And Doug passed me like I was going backwards in dust, <laughs> and I'm like, "If this is what I have to do to acquire here to compete, I want no part of this at all." Like he passed me like, I don't think I've ever been <laughs> I felt like a beginner. It was the craziest thing. I couldn't see my front number plate, and he just I think I wanted to tell him. he's got to recognize the helmet that just going by. It was so quick, he went by me. The, how in
0: the heck is that guy going that fast? And I can't even see anything. I don't think Doug can see when there's no dust and the sun shines out because when it's dark and it's dusty, that guy is on fire. Yeah. I mean, he goes fast in the sunlight. Don't get me wrong, but did you give him some dust and you give him some darkness and, and like in Pond de Vue, man, the night section, it was all his because he was just flying. You know, I I don't know. I don't know how he did it. I've told this story before, but we were racing Vegas to Reno, and I think it was O three. I think it was O three, and we're all in the back of uh, Rocky from Cycle Parts West box van because it's so nasty, windy, and the dust is horrible. And we're all just trying to stay out of the elements and. I'm asking Doug, Doug, how do you get through the dust? And he goes, Well, you got to pick a number. And I said, What do you mean, pick a number? And he goes, Well, yeah, you pick a number. You count. You count until you want to shut off. So you pick your number, and that's where you shut off, you know, and then you have to deal with the dust or or whatever. And I says, Well, what's your number? And he goes, Well, that's not important. You have to pick your own number. And I'm like, Well, you're not going to tell me your No, I'm not going to tell you my number. Okay. You know, so I went out my next ride and I'm using that theory. And every time I got to my number, either dust would either clear or I would slow down and there would be an obstacle and I would have enough time to react. Where if I wouldn't have slowed down at that number, I would have crashed. I think
1: Doug's number is probably like 35 or 40 or something.
0: (laughs) It's way way, way higher than mine. I'll tell you that. You know, and yeah, know. we only lost that race by six seconds. Alan and I were partners and we lost that race by six seconds. Yeah.
1: The grand, yeah. The grand prix is the, the dust. I didn't like the dust.
0: Excuse me. I misspoke. We lost that race by 26 seconds. They told <laughs> us we had won by four and it turns out we had got second by 26 seconds.
1: Yeah. That's close for a long race like that. That's really close. <sighs> So you should have counted a couple numbers
3: higher, and you probably could have won.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we changed an air filter in the mid portion of the race, and it took two minutes. Oh wow! We wouldn't change an air filter. was that on a Raptor six hundred and sixty? Okay, and you know, two spigots. Okay. You know, you had to tighten two clamps. You know, and for some reason, we fumbled with the air filter, and it just it didn't go well. And we got it changed and off we went and we led the whole first half of the race. So we get, which means nothing in Vegas, Torino, you know, yeah. you only care about the last hundred miles. And, um, Jimmy Stevenson was riding a Z 400 Doug and Mark Spath were on a, uh, Lobo, 350 three Oh five with the one of Lawrence PC cylinders on there. And Alan and I were on that six sixty, and we're coming to the end of the race. We're, we're getting into the 150 mile and there's a, a wash where you come across the flat desert and you drop into a wash and it's a right hand turn. It's a really hard right hand turn. Well, when you drop into the wash, it throws you into the shale. You cut that right rear tire. Oh, okay. So all three of us cut the same tire on the same spot. I guarantee you. because when we're going up this freaking long, rutted out road, I can see Jimmy leading Doug in second, and I'm in third, and I'm reeling them in like they're tied to a fence post. That 660 didn't care, it had a flat tire. Oh, you know, it no. was freaking just flying up that hill. So Stevenson's getting a tire. Eichner's getting a tire. I slide up. My mechanic drops the lug nuts on the ground for Doug's bike and runs over to my bike to change my tire. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be bad. When I talk to Doug about that, he's still pissed. And, And did Jimmy win? Nope. Jimmy and them had a failure on the next section because Alan got on right and and they left Jimmy Doug, Allen, and they all left that that way, and um, I mean, Alan was probably ten seconds behind him, maybe fifteen and and it wasn't a very good section for Alan, uh, he struggled a bit, I think it was some whoops, and he's a big guy, you know, and oh. that six sixty was not the best whoop machine there was, no. um Doug came in, or faith came in, um and we had they had 6 minutes on us when we got to the finish line they told us they told me that we we had won by 4 seconds well when they did all the calculations there was a rider that didn't make it to the starting line and that was the rider that was in between us and when they did the final calculation they had to give they had to give us add 30 seconds to our time
3: oh okay
0: costs you know, 26 seconds. Um, uh, and, and Doug couldn't believe it, you know, because he told me don't pass my guy. Well, I didn't pass his guy. I caught his guy and, and, and reeled him in because Mark pulled into the pits and, and just taken his helmet off and I rolled up, you know, and you know, uh, Alan and I were never in their category. It was just that race allowed you to be, Fast, we were on a faster machine. You know, our bike would go over 100 miles an hour, and the Z400 would would go probably in the low 90s, and that 250R was about 88 max. Yeah. if you're lucky, 88. Yeah, flat ground. Yeah, you know, downhill with a tailwind. You know, um, so it was it was a great story. You know, Alan and I had a great deal, but they took the winner of that race and put him in a museum. Put the bike in a museum. Oh, okay. I think for a year they had to leave it there, you know, and that was an arrangement ahead of time. I don't know what we would have done if we would have had to put our bike in there. Cause that was the only one we had, <laughs> you know, Lauren, we need another bike. Yeah. You said, sorry, you know, you're walking to the next race. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed uh, racing with Alan. We were both, you know, I weighed two forty, and I think he weighed two seventy five at the time. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you, we had no business going that fast. You know, I didn't train. Train? What are you talking about? Train? Uh, You know, I didn't what kind of he was doing. Was doing. Pardon? I said, okay. No, kind of training he was doing? Sixteen ounce curls. Oh uh, yeah. Curls. <laughs> well, you know, his mom made the best cookies in the world. So yeah, he we was <laughs> eating cookies and he was drinking beer, and yeah, it was it was a good time. I got, you know, I could drink beer back then. (laughs) No, no, I couldn't. I was already, I had already hurt myself and couldn't drink. So, uh, but I could sure eat with the best of them. You know, (laughs) it was was a lot of fun. Corey, I want to thank you for, for sharing these memories with me and, and, and allowing us to talk about our passion in the ATV industry. Um, I want to leave the invitation out to have you back again. Yeah, anytime. Um, yeah. maybe we could get you and a couple other guys to to do a group chat. Oh. Um,
1: uh, so that we could that tell some That might be, yeah, we might tell a bunch of lies. That'll be
0: good. Yeah, well, you know, you <laughs> know, the fish wasn't six inches, it was 12 inches, you know. I I get it. Um, it it's okay. Uh um, we all get faster as we get older and and the farther we get away from our sport, you know, we, the better we were. know, um, yeah, there's a <laughs> you
1: need to you need to have Shane on here um, being your, your co-host <laughs> when you call like maybe Timmy or Jeremy or somebody. Shane Shane will rat them all out on all the good stories.
0: Um, you know, the problem is is Timmy wouldn't say a word. No,
1: Shane talk for him, don't worry. She can throw him under the bus.
0: Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Timmy would still never say anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we could get a word in edgewise if you have Jeremy and Shane. <sighs> you can't, but you'd be laughing the whole time. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, I'm willing. I'm willing to I'm willing to do that because it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's it's uh
1: there's yeah, there's some good good people they probably definitely you get some really good stories and people I remember more too, when they start talking to, you know, talking to other people, and especially like that, you know, you get a couple people on the
0: same time, though. Definitely. I was going to work last Saturday night. I promised a bike, you know, I had to go do some stuff with my wife for my grandkids. And so I had to go to work Saturday night, you know, (laughs) I mean, I had to, I had to finish this machine and I'm driving up to the shop and Doug Gus called me out of the blue. I've been trying to get a hold of him. Yeah. I thought, you know, this is pretty awesome. So we got to go down memory lane a little bit, you know, I can't wait to get him on here because he's got, did you know he's a crop duster? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's not yeah. yeah. I haven't talked to Doug
1: too much last few years, but I've ran into him at a couple of events. Um, gosh, it's probably been five or six years now, maybe. Yeah. He's been crop dusting for a while now. Is that not crazy though? Yeah, I think he's going all
0: over the place. It's not just in his area. I think he's going, you know, kind of regionally doing it. Um, He said, um, I don't want to speak out of turn. Illinois uh, was one of the places he had mentioned. Uh, He's probably going other places. Um, But yeah, he said that he's got a two seater and his wife goes along with him sometimes he probably, he's
1: probably knowing Doug, he's probably taking people with him and scaring the crap out of him on, in the plane and <laughs> for fun. Why he's crop dusting probably, you know, I got, I got I got to ride with him one time in the plane and I can't, remember what he called them floaties or something. And he he does all kinds of stuff. I think to scare you on purpose, turns the engine off and then dives and turns it back on. And I mean, just, I don't want to be in a little plane. <laughs> yeah, I'm
2: not.
1: I don't. I I don't mind flying, but I don't want to be in a little plane. That's not my not my, my not my not my fun zone. No, you know. But he gets. I think he. I think I don't know how much he rides anymore. But I think he. I think that's his. His definitely adrenaline rush. Probably still is flying that
0: crop dusting plane. You know. You know, Joe was telling me that he flies a lot too.
1: Yeah, Joe's Joe's been a flyer for quite a while. You know. Yeah. I think it was, did Joe ever get his license?
0: I know he, I heard he was working on getting his crop dusting license. I don't know if he ever did. I don't know if he finished it. I think he did, but he said getting into do that. He says, it's kind of like, you know, a brotherhood and you have to pay your dues to get in. And he goes, he's struggling to get in, but he told me, he goes, I got to do something. I got to get a job doing something. (laughs) Sitting on the couch just isn't, isn't healthy.
1: Yeah, I know it's 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 kind of. I mean, I know Joe Joe sort of flying, Doug sort of flying. Um, I know Pat Brown was doing um, private jet stuff for a while. I think I think I think he worked for some plumbing company or something for a while, and he was doing private jet stuff. Like he was like on call, like I think twenty four seven or something, pretty much out of Atlanta or somewhere. And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we need to go fly somewhere," and he you know, they give him an hour or two and you meet him at the airport and fly to people. I think it was, I think it was a people like some big plumbing company or something. Wow. He, he was doing that for a while. So yeah, it's funny. And like, think about, I mean, I don't know, to me getting a pilot's license is, would be a big deal, but for the amount of how small the race community is, and I think there's probably a few more that have pilot's license. It's crazy. You know, there's not people doing it, but that was Doug's, I mean, that, you know, that was Doug's way to the races for a long, you know, for the last few years, he raced. Yeah. And that was, that was his deal. He would, he would fly in, you know, the, you know, cause usually at the end there, we were, you know, we went from racing practice Friday, race Saturday, Sunday, to racing Sunday only, and then racing Saturday only. So, I mean, you, as a parole, you didn't have to be there. the you didn't have to be there the other day. So dog would just fly in and, you know, not that he didn't want to be there, but he, he would, You know, use his ability to fly in and out to not save himself the travel time, basically. Yep. You know, and that was his transportation to the races for a few years there. That's pretty awesome.
0: Be nice. A little scary, but that's pretty awesome.
1: Be real nice. Be a lot better than drive across country like I was doing. Uh, you
0: know, but I don't like the little planes.
1: Yeah. I think if you're flying it, you might have might feel a little better than riding shotgun with Doug b- bouncing you off the ceiling and stuff <laughs> getting you weightless.
0: Yeah. I had a, I have a good friend named Raphael Sonic. He races the Dakar stuff and the rallies and it, you know, I met him in Pond and he flew from Florida to California to see me, um, in a, a small plane. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, we have to stop and gas and yeah. And when he got here in, in El Cajon in Gillespie field, he did touch and goes for the family, for the kids. Yeah. And they're not, that's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But you know, they turned a, a blind eye and let him let him do it all and, and fly all the kids. And you know, they get to see El Cajon from the air and all the kids loved it. They thought it was the greatest thing. Yeah. You know, me, I did not take my turn. <sighs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was not. I'm not doing that. Sorry, you guys yeah. can have that. So, uh, but it was pretty cool. We did fly it from uh, Gillespie Field to District 38 race. Oh, really? Yeah. And he landed in a lady's yard that had a, It was an airstrip. You know, they, they used it for an airstrip, and it's kind of an unspoken thing amongst people that fly that when you land, you know, you tell them who you are, what's going on and they'd like, Hey, no problem. you know.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: if I'm ever in the area in your area, let me land your plane there. You know, yeah. uh, but it was pretty cool. I mean, I got motion sickness because yeah, it was horrible, but it was great. Quick. We landed, got out of the plane and the box van rolled up, jumped in the box van and went to the race. <laughs> So yeah, the I mean, time the fly time, the drive time, I think the box van left about 15 minutes before us, you know, and they were just flying to get there. Um, but it was it was pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I mean that I
1: mean that's you know, Doug, I think Doug has a hangar at his house, has a and has a runway at his house. <laughs> he carried, I mean, when he was, you know, flying to the races, he just carried the bag out of his house, walked it out of the house, put it in his but his plane leave from his house. He never even got a car until he got to, to the airport by the track and got a rental car. You know, oh, geez, that's that's I mean, pretty be, awesome.
0: How nice would that be? Well, yeah, I think if flying, it would be way better than, than sitting passenger. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right, brother. Alrighty. We're going to call this one. I want to thank you again for spending some time on ATV talk and, and please come and visit with us again. Yeah let me know i'll come back whenever we got awesome yeah, lots, I wanna, lots, lots, i'll lots, set lots. up a. will set up a chat maybe i'll get uh shane and jeremy to sit down with us and uh we'll we'll, we'll see if we can have a good time
1: so you and i are going to stare at each other then
0: yeah
1: you know, who's laugh, wow, on each other the whole time don't
0: lie yeah, whatever whatever you know i mean whatever works you know um i want to see who's going to get the better of who i i think shane's going to win.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I don't know.
0: Shane, (laughs) Shane
1: will win. win. Jeremy will get some good ones in there, but Shane will win, but I don't know how much of the stories they can tell.
0: Uh, (laughs) They'll tell some good ones. I mean, there's still some good ones to tell, you know, I I don't want none. This is a family friendly show. I don't want them to tell anything that they're not supposed to.
1: Yeah. There's, there's plenty. There's plenty of those. those. those guys were on the road together for quite a bit. My my dad followed them around the country doing the pay stuff for a year or two. Why they why those two were nestled up in the motorhome or Shane's toter home together? And yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like being fly on the wall in there, huh?
1: Freaking uh, Jeremy about killed them when you're, They came out to Glamis. Jeremy about killed both of them. They, those two. Well, you know, Shane's a, Shane's a hillbilly and Jeremy's a hick. Um <laughs> and those two were staying in Shane's Shane's total home at Glamis one year when we went, we all went. And it was cold, so they and I don't think his heater worked in the motor in the total home. So they put a propane heater inside the motor home. Oh. And Jeremy, Jeremy wakes up and I guess he's like, Shane, I'm getting a headache. I'm getting a headache. I got to, you know, you got to turn that thing off. It's making me nauseous. And Shane, Shane tells him, just shut up, you fool, and go to sleep. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> me, keeps no, no, you got to turn the thing off. I, I don't feel so good. So Shane finally shut it off, but those guys are freaking run a propane heater inside, inside of that closed vehicle. Like, I are mean, you trying to sleep with it? I mean, <laughs> just the stuff they did. I mean, oh God. Yeah, there's there's some definitely good road stories between those guys traveling. That's for sure.
0: That's awesome. I love it. I can't. I can't wait. I got to set this up because I'm I'm laughing just thinking about it. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're like a comedy
1: comedy duo. You know, it's, it's like Will Ferrell and John C. Reilly or something. <laughs>
0: it's
1: pretty good. It's, it's uh, it's entertainment.
0: That's hey, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah you're supposed to laugh and have a good time. So (laughs) Corey, thanks again, man. Uh, You have a great one and uh, good luck in your race and uh, make sure you keep it on all four. All right. We'll do. Thanks for having me. We'll be in touch soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you, brother. Have a great night. Thank your wife for letting me spend this time with you. (laughs) No problem. I'll let her know. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at atvtalkpodcast.com.
2: Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time.
0: San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience... Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs, and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment 619-987-8875. Duncan
2: Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world.